as we just read uh, about Thomas, uh, he is a unique figure within the Christian circle. Uh, actually, uh, Thomas is very well known even outside of, of the Christian church because he is known as the doubting disciple. Uh, many people have attributed to him the nickname Doubting Thomas, and that, that term is even used uh, outside in the secular world uh, for someone who is a doubter. Uh, and it's easy to see why he's given this title uh, in this story that we just read, uh, as we have the benefit of seeing backwards uh, through the testimony of the other disciples. Um, but I think it's it's interesting. Uh, I think if, I'm inter- if I'm honest with myself and with you, uh, as I read his story, I, I don't really find much fault with Thomas's doubting, if I'm to be to be totally true with you. Uh, the rabbi that he is you know, believed to be the Messiah sent from God uh, has just been put on the cross, as we just talked about on Friday. Right? He died a criminal's death. There was no angelic beings uh, coming down to save him as he was hanging on the cross. Uh, no, there was no, no moment uh, during that, that crucifixion where his doubts um, were answered because Jesus remained dead. He was put in the tomb. Uh, the Pharisees who put him up there sat unjudged for the crimes, gloating in their victory. And day passed and day passed. And it seemed that he was indeed wrong about this Jesus. And so Thomas was crushed because he was following the wrong guy. Yes, Jesus performed miracles. Yes, Jesus taught some incredible sermons. And yet he is dead like every other person who came before him. And it almost seems as if Thomas's doubt is justified. If indeed Jesus stayed dead. But here's the thing, and this is why we come back a few days later on, on Easter Sunday. We come back here to celebrate and, and to commemorate and to rejoice because his doubts are actually answered. His doubts are answered here on Easter Sunday because Jesus did not stay dead. And the thing is, Thomas's story is actually part of the reason we know this to be true. See, Thomas's experience with Jesus actually reveals something to us today. Uh, we're going to focus on three things that, that, we, that we learn here uh, about believing. Uh, first thing with believing that is that believing revi- requires surrender. A second is that believing uh, is a personal thing. And finally, believing is life itself. All right. So three things about believing. Surrender, it is personal, and it is life. All right. And so first thing, believing is surrendering. It requires surrender. Look at verse 24 with me. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, what this is telling us is Thomas was absent uh, absent just before this. He was not with the others following uh, the crucifixion, the burial, uh, because in the passage prior to this one, Jesus reveals himself, the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, has revealed himself to Mary Magdalene and his other disciples, right? It was a, a week earlier. We see that in verse 19, uh, that passage right there. It's, it's a situation where they're locked inside for fear of the Jews because their Messiah had just been crucified. Uh, and Jesus miraculously appears and he shows them his hands. He shows them his side, which bear the marks of the crucifixion. And he says, basically, it's me. I'm not a ghost. You see the holes in my hands. You see the piercing on my side where they pierced me on the cross, where you saw that happen. And I'm here. I'm alive. And it's, inter- 
it's interesting. They say uh, they were glad to see him. Right? I think that's a little bit of an understatement. All right? You don't see a dead person and be like, oh, that's nice. Good to see you. All right? It's rejoicing. They're, they're thrilled. They're enthralled. They cannot be, they can't understand, but, 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 but what they see is the living God is standing in front of them. And, and this Jesus who's living says, go out to the world now and announce to them that I have risen again. I am alive. I'm the son of God who has conquered sin and death. And so they, they, they're, they're rejoicing and they decide, all right, we're going to obey God. We're going to obey Jesus. We're going to tell others. And so they decide to start with a, a softball, a nice one. They, they say they, they go to Thomas, one of their fellow apostles. And they said, why don't we tell him? Someone who will understand very clearly, someone who has been walking with us throughout Jesus's ministry, someone who will understand this miracle. And so they tell Thomas, look at verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now there's no explanation given for his absence. We don't know why he wasn't there and yet he was missing. And now when he comes back, they tell him the good news that Jesus is risen from the dead. They've seen him. And ironically, the disciples first attempted, first recorded attempt to tell someone about the risen Lord is an absolute failure. They're rejected by their own a fellow apostle, someone who has walked through ministry with them, someone who has walked with Jesus, someone who has witnessed Jesus' miracles. They've witnessed Jesus bringing the dead to life, and he's saying, no, 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 that cannot be. You can imagine their dismay when they hear Thomas's response. Till I put my hands in the holes in his pants, till I touch his side, I will never believe. In other words, Thomas is saying, I'm not falling for this again. You guys can't pull a quick one on me. You're going to have to prove it, Jesus, if you're really living. Prove it to me. And at first when we read this, it seems like the doubter title is very justified for Thomas. Right? Why don't you just believe like the rest of the guys? The rest of the guys believe. Why don't you? Until you realize that he is no different from them. Thomas, the doubter, is no different from the other ten who remain. It's a matter of timing, right? If Thomas was there with them when Jesus appeared, no doubt he would have believed also because they also doubted Mary Magdalene who came back and said, I've seen the risen Lord. He told me to tell you guys that he's back. What did they say to her? Well, that's a tall tale. You must be on something. Maybe you had a hallucination. There's no way. They also doubted. And here, uh, earlier, when they finally saw the living Jesus, he showed them his hands, his side. They were glad only after they saw his hands and his eyes. When they saw him, they still thought he was a ghost. They, they, they thought he was an apparition. Maybe they thought, man, we're hallucinating together. And he said, no, I'm real. And then they rejoiced. And then they believed. You see, if Thomas was there with them, no doubt he also would have believed. He is no more a doubter than they were. All of them were doubters. Jesus, or Thomas rather, is no less committed to Jesus than any of the other disciples. He's just behind. You see, in this doubt, Thomas isn't showing that he doesn't believe in Jesus, but he's showing us that he just doesn't believe in this Jesus. That's, that's his issue. It's not that I don't believe in Jesus. 
I believe that this is the wrong Jesus because for Thomas, the Messiah would never be tried as a criminal. The Messiah would never be put on a cross by the Romans. The, the Messiah would never be killed. His issue is, God, this cannot be your plan. How could this possibly be your will? This is wrong. In other words, Thomas is willing to believe in Jesus, but only on his own terms. This is his internal struggle. I'm finding difficult to, to surrender to God because I don't think God got it right. It's the issue of all of them, not just Thomas, all of the disciples. In other words, I will believe in you, but only if you match up with what I desire. It's ironic because he's no different from the Jewish authorities who put Jesus on the cross in the first place. They were also willing to believe in God. These were people who you know, taught uh, the Old Testament and, and, and they taught the Bible, and yet they only would believe in the God who matched up with their version of God. We want a God who will rescue us from the Romans. We want a God who will be a military vigor. We, we don't want this nobody from Nazareth. We don't want this nobody from, from a backwater town. We don't want a son of a carpenter. And this is not our wrestling. My friends, do, we, do, you, do you resonate with Thomas's struggle? Or do you ever wonder if God knows what he's really doing? Because I think Thomas is voicing for us what we wrestle with on a daily basis. Right, we all doubt God in our own right, if we're being honest with ourselves. And maybe not on the topic of Jesus' resurrection, but we doubt his character. We doubt his trustworthiness. We doubt his uh, plans. And I'm speaking to, to God-fearing believers. We struggle to believe him because we think we know better than him. And when do we see this happen? It's when things go amiss. When things don't go according to plan. Right? It's like Thomas and, and, and the disciples, when they see their beloved rabbi who, who rides into Jerusalem victoriously on Palm Sunday. Right? I mean, put yourself in their shoes. They, they think, man, we've walked with this guy. We've seen him teach. We've seen him perform miracles. And we're coming in finally to the climax of his victory. Right? He rides in. People are waving palms. They're hailing him as a Messiah. And you're thinking to yourself, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. He's going to be crowned king, and we're going to knock down the Romans in, in, due, in no time. And then by Friday, that same man who you thought was the king of kings is hanging on the cross, suffocating on his own blood. God, you must have got something wrong. This is not right. Something has gone wrong. God, you've got it wrong. Right? Like Thomas, we're, we're willing to believe in God, but only if he is the God we want for ourselves. A God who abides by our rules and our will. In other words, Thomas, like the other disciples, have conditions. He has conditions for his belief. I will never believe unless. And we see that in his statement. Unless I see the hands. Unless I put my hands, my fingers in those holes. Unless I touch his side. Those are his conditions. I will not surrender God to you until you meet my conditions. My friends, what are your conditions for God? What are your conditions for your belief? Unless, God, you deliver me from my singleness. Unless you heal me from my sickness. Unless you heal my family members. Unless you save my child. Unless you give me these things I will never believe. What is in your heart? 
What have you yet to surrender to him? As he looked at Thomas, who refused to believe that God was right in sending his own son down to die on our behalf. Look at this example that we've been given. We have the gift of hindsight. We get to see from behind or or from from the future to see that actually, Thomas, that God did know what he was doing. And you need proof? This, this is the proof. You need proof? Look at the tomb. The tomb is the proof. We look at the darkest moment in, in history. The moment when the Son of God was put down like a criminal. And we wonder, God, what could you be doing through this? And three days later, we, we get an answer. He used the darkest moment in history to give us life. He, he put his own son down in order to raise us up to life. If you need proof that God is worth surrendering, surrendering to, you only need to look to the empty tomb and realize that God is worth trusting. He's worth surrendering to. He knows exactly what he's doing. That's what believing looks like. It is to surrender to him and say, God, I don't understand. I may not even like what you're doing, but I will surrender to you because you know what you're doing. Second, believing is personal. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. We have resolution. A week later, a week has passed. Once again, the disciples are are locked away inside. And it's important that John uh, gives us these details because he's trying to help us understand that Jesus is not some mere human. He's not just some mere mortal. But as they lock themselves inside, Jesus appears to them. He, He goes through what is physical and he appears to them. And John is trying to show us Jesus' divinity. That's why he gives us these miraculous details and, and he greets them all. Right? He says, hi, it's me again. And then he turns directly to Thomas. And it's, it, it is, there's, no, there's no details given about their interaction, not many, but you can almost audibly hear Thomas gasp. Right? And these are the, one of those moments um, in, in the Gospels where uh, my wife and I like to have these very lively discussions about whether or not Jesus was sassy sometimes because I don't know. I mean, it would just be hilarious if it was, but, but you know, we have no answer, but these are one of those moments where you're just going, Oh snap. Because not only does he say, hi, it's me. Then he turns and says, Hey Thomas, it's me. I mean, these are moments where you can feel his heart just shatter in the best way possible. And Jesus says, Hey, I heard you. I know what you were saying. I know exactly what you were saying. You want to see my fingers or my hands? You want to place your fingers in my in my hands? You want to see my side? Do it. And you have to understand, it's not mean-spirited in any ways. Jesus is not condemning Thomas. He's not, I mean, he doesn't pop up and say, well, now I'm going to call you Doubting Thomas for the rest of your life and, and for the rest of eternity, everyone's going to be pointing at you. He, he, there's no shame involved here. He doesn't condemn his friend, but he says, here, I welcome you. You want answers? I'll give you answers. 
But Thomas does get rebuked by Jesus with a very simple command, do not disbelieve, but believe. He's not rebuking Thomas for demanding physical proof because the whole uh, uh, gospel of John is, is written to give us physical proof. That's not his rebuke. His rebuke, rather, is that you did not believe what you saw. You did not believe what you saw me do, and you did not believe the testimony of your fellow disciples. That's his rebuke. That's why he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. It's a personal rebuke. Thomas, I know you. Do you not believe me? And Thomas's response is very simple and very clear in verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. It's clear that he understands. There's, there's no record here of, of, you know, Thomas going, well, hold on, let me touch those holes first and let me touch the side. All right, well, we don't know if it actually happened, if there was any physical touching, but it seems, as John wants us to know, that the sight of the living Jesus who speaks to him is enough to turn Thomas's heart. So much so that he claims, he utters, my Lord, my God. That's the only thing he can say. It's a complete turnaround from what he said just a week ago. You are my Lord. You are my God. My friends, this is what it looks like to truly believe. To meet the personal God and to be led to repentance. To meet him personally and to be led to repentance. My friends, the Christian belief, faith, our faith is deeply personal. It is not impersonal, but personal, the, the most personal thing to us. And if you're not a believer, let, let me make it clear to you. The Christian belief is not simply praying a prayer. It is not agreeing to a set of moral rules to abide by. It's not a new philosophy of life. Those are things that the Christian faith is not. To believe in Jesus is to encounter the living Jesus. It's to meet him face to face. It's to find that our misconceptions, our unbelief, all these are personally challenged by Jesus who knows us, who knows what's in our hearts, who knows what's, what kind of doubts we wrestle with. And, and he comes to us and says, do not be disbelieve, but believe. He shows us his hands and his sides. My friends, my believer friends, those are, uh, of you and he in here who are, are Christians, do you not remember what it was like meeting this Jesus for the first time? And like Thomas, you found your doubts, your unbelief vanish in an instant. Right? It was miraculous, let's be honest. You met him. Not physically, but your soul met the living Jesus. You knew at that moment that he was living. Because he spoke to your heart. He spoke to you and you uttered. You, you had no other answer than my Lord and my God. And at that moment you were experiencing what Thomas was experiencing. It's a repentance. It was a complete turnaround. An acceptance that the resurrected Jesus was your Lord and your God. It changed your entire experience. It changed your entire existence because you were no longer your own Lord, your own God. But Jesus was. What's that like? What's it like when it turns from something impersonal to something personal? I remember as a kid reading about American history. Uh, I, I like history. I'm a, a kind of nerd. Uh, and, and I remember they were teaching us about the, the, the Chinese immigrant experience. Um, and myself being Chinese, I was like, cool, I'll learn about it. Why not? 
Um, and they taught us about how Chinese immigrants were brought over um, to build the Transcontinental Railroad. Right? You all heard this in your your your, your classes. Yeah, I think nodding. Yes. Uh, and, and you understand that. You're like, okay, cool. That's great. The, the, maybe if I find pieces of railroad, I'll see some made in China stamped on it somewhere, whatever. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, that's cool. But for me, in all honesty, all it was, was something I had to memorize and then answer correctly on my test. I knew it. All right. You asked me who built the railroads? Chinese with a mixture of Irish and, and, and another other immigrants, but basically the poor immigrants had to do all the work. I'm like, great. All right, cool. Ace my test. Great. Fantastic. And then years later, when I became an adult, talking to my grandmother, who revealed to me that my great-grandfather was one of those dudes who worked to build those railroads. Suddenly, those stories that I memorized in the past, those impersonal stories tied to, to, to nameless spaces, became the most personal story. My history, my, my ancestry is tied to that. It's not just a, an impersonal story that I have to memorize anymore. Suddenly it became the most personal thing. And my friends, I need to ask you, do you recognize that the gospel story is not an impersonal story that you simply have to memorize or know or agree uh, to, to accept? But it is a personal story, the most personal story. I have to ask how many of us view our belief in Jesus as simply an acceptance of historical fact? You might have been attending church for years, maybe in decades. You accept the Bible is good. You think that Jesus is admirable and morally you agree with his teachings. But my friends, if our faith is simply something to memorize or agree to, we've missed the whole point. Because Thomas accepted that the Bible was good. He admired Jesus. He agreed with Jesus' teachings. But up until that point, Jesus was not his Lord or his God. Until he recognized that those holes in his hands, that hole in his pierced side, those are done for him. My friends, you realize that those holes in Jesus' hands and those pierced sides were done for you. This is the most personal story. Your belief is the most personal thing. He did not just die so you could have a good story to tell. He died so that you could live. He died because he loved you. You need proof that he loves you? Look at his scars. Here's an amazing thing. When he was re redeemed and resurrected by God, God left those scars on him. See, one day we will be redeemed. We will be restored to life again. We will not have to deal with the scars, the broken bodies, but our Savior has the markings upon him for all of eternity to let you know how much he loves you. Have you recognized that yet? That his wounds are for you. It is personal. Finally, believing is life. Look at verse 29. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. All right, Jesus seems to be rebuking Thomas further here. Maybe throwing a little shade uh, at, at, his, at his friend. But I, I don't think that's Jesus' point, actually. I think he's actually pointing to us. 
He's pointing to future believers at this point where he's saying, those who come after the ascension, after I have left this world, to you, I'm giving an example. Right? He's proclaiming a, a blessing upon us, those who will not see him in the physical flesh until a second coming, but yet believe in him. He's saying, to you, I give you a blessing. In other words, he's saying to us, Thomas, your experience with me is going to be used as an example. I'm going to use you as an example because oftentimes, don't you ever think, all right, uh, Jesus, if I, I could only see you in person, if I could meet you, I would believe you. It's that simple, God. That's all you have to do. Appear to me, right? Appear to me and I will believe. And that's what Thomas is struggling with. Right? I missed it. I missed it by, by a day. I missed it by a few hours. If only you would show yourself to me, I will believe. And we, we're in the same boat. We missed it by several thousand years. Jesus, if only you would show yourself to me, I would believe. And Jesus' answer to us is given here. He says to us, and he says to Thomas, believe in the testimony of the ones I did appear to. Believe them. Believe those who saw me. That's why he appeared to Thomas later. This is part of Jesus' plans. That he would show up to meet his disciples when Thomas was missing in order that this situation would, would occur. That doubting Thomas would be born so that you and I would have an answer to our doubts. He's saying, Thomas, you can believe in them. You can believe in their testimony. That their testimony is good and true. In other words, my friends, we can believe what is here that this testimony is good for us because he had to rely on their word and he can say, we can follow in the footsteps of doubting Thomas. Imagine that. We can be like him and make that same confession that Thomas made, that Jesus is alive and he is our Lord and our Savior. We can believe in the testimony of those who came before us. And to us, to you and me, Jesus gives a blessing. And blessing here translates not just to happiness or, or good fortune, but, but blessing, the, the original word here, is, is talking about an acceptance by God. In other words, to you who come after my ascension and have to rely on the testimony of those who saw me, I accept you. I accept you. In, in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, verse 8 to, to 9, this is the Apostle Peter, who was part of the ten who originally saw Jesus the first time. And this is what he says to believers who have not had the opportunity to see Jesus. In other words, he's speaking to us. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that, that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Think about who's saying this. This is an apostle who realizes that you will not be able to see him in the flesh. And he's saying, you and I have the same faith. The, the love, the joy, the glory, the salvation that I get to experience because I got to see Jesus, that's for you too. You who did not get to see him in the flesh, you also have that same faith. You have access to that. Your faith is no lesser than mine. And therefore, we have this explanation in verse 30 and 31, which is a summary of the, the book of John. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is summarizing up his book. He's saying, we've 
we've seen Jesus do many, many miraculous things, but we did not record them all. But what we did record is for one singular purpose, is that you may believe that he is the Son of God. And by believing in him, you would have life. That is to say that Jesus is not just a historical figure, but that he is the Messiah, the Son of God who has defeated sin and death and has risen from the grave. And in other words, those who believe in him will also not perish but have eternal life. Friends, if you don't know this Jesus, I want to welcome you to ponder this with me. Ponder with me. I know on Easter Sunday, uh, sometimes you come in here because your mother, your father, who love you so much, you're like, please just come with me. And you're like, I'll come twice, Christmas and Easter. Great, fantastic, glad you're here. I don't think it's an accident. I believe the Lord calls us to hear him because just like he met Thomas, he comes and meets us where we are. He knows our doubts. He knows what we're struggling with and he comes to you face to face and he says, you want answers? I'll give you answers. See, the thing is, humanity, that, that's you and me, humans, we live our whole lives seeking an answer to sin and death. We may not even understand this or recognize this, but, but the human condition is this. We recognize there's something wrong with this world. You, you don't need much proof. You just turn on the news and all you see is sin and death. You see brokenness. You feel brokenness. You experience it in your own heart. I mean, I'm a youth pastor here and I work with young people in our church and I mean, they're young and yet they know darkness like you would not believe it. They've seen how dark life is. And you're, those of you who are here who are, are older than them, you recognize that it doesn't get better. The darkness does not get lighter as you get older. Sure, we have more distractions that we cling to, but we have still no answer to death. And the thing is, these two, sin and death, we need an answer by the end. We need an answer. What answer do you have is my question to you. Yes, life is fun. There are good things to experience. But none of those things are eternal. Yes, if you live forever, that's that's great. What if you achieve eternal life? What good is eternal life if this life is so broken? What if you live a sinless life? You you experience utopia or or the the experience of of no darkness in this life, but yet one day you die. We need a better answer. You see, Jesus is telling us what you're seeking is life. Not just eternal life, but eternal life with me. Life with me is perfection. Life with me is to live with me forever. And that's, that's the amazing thing about the gospel. It is a God who says, I want you to dwell with me for all eternity where there is no sin, there is no death, and we can live without ever having to suffer those things ever again. My son has made that possible. 
See that most ver- famous verse in the Bible, the, Bi- the verse that, that if you were ever in a pu- private school, you had to memorize this, is, is what? It's, it's speaking about this. John 3, 16. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what this gospel is talking about. It's so that you would not have to suffer anymore. That as Jesus came out of the tomb alive, he was assuring that you too would never have to face eternal death. He lives so that we would live. You see, if Jesus remained dead, if he did not rise again, we, have no, we would have no hope. We would have nothing. We would be fools to believe a dead man. That's why we need the resurrection to be true. We need Easter to be true because otherwise humanity has no answer. We have no answer. You and I, whether you're a Christian or not, we need it to be true that someone could defeat sin and death. Is that all right? We need it to be true. Otherwise, there is nothing we have to hold on to. My friends, this living God invites you to know him, to see his hands and his side, and to understand that those are proof of his love for you. He wants you to have this life. Would you not consider it today? Let me pray for us. God, we need your son, your living son, and his testimony to be true. We need his victory to be true. We have no answers to the brokenness of this world. We have no answers to the death that we face day in and day out. God, I pray for my friends here who are wrestling with you, who are trying to understand what it looks like to believe in you. Would you show them that this is the better way, that this is the way to life? It's to have you, it's to know you, it's to to love you and be loved by you. Would you show us how sweet it is to be your child? We long for the day, God, when you will return again, when you will redeem us and restore us forever, and we will live with you in eternity, never having to cry another tear, never having to moan about the pain of living in a sin-cursed world. We will be with you, the righteous God, who will never allow sin to enter into this world again. We long for you, God. We pray this in your son's name.